This is Need to Know. Real talk about unidentified anomalous phenomena. From Australia, Ross Coulthard. From the U.S., Bryce Zabel. Ross Coulthard, my co-host, is, like we like to say in the news business, on assignment. Um, Just a couple of uh, pieces of housekeeping. Kind of interesting that uh, this year uh, we have been nominated, the Need to Know uh, podcast has been nominated by the Roswell Daily Record Film Festival as Best Web Series. Uh, I don't know what the history of this award is, but as they say in the uh, Hollywood business that I'm in, it's an honor just to be nominated. So we thank the uh, Roswell Film Festival. I'll be speaking there uh, this year. Um, they're July or they're June 30th through July 2nd. And I guess I'm doing something every day there. Main speech on Friday, and I'm trying to figure out a way to make some news and uh, make some noise at the same time. Um, also, uh, there's you know panels, and I'll be part of those. Now, the thing is, um, you may wonder uh, what my life is like right now. I'm still on strike at the Writers Guild. We're coming up on a month now, and when you're on strike, it means you can't write on uh, covered projects that are film or television, which means pencils down, as we like to say, even though that's an anachronism and nobody uses a pencil anymore. My pencils are down for Hollywood film and TV projects. But that does mean that I can work on my book because a book is not covered. So it's interesting. Um, The topic that I'm speaking on at Roswell is basically close encounters of the Hollywood kind. And guess what? That's the title of the book. And depending on how long the strike lasts, I might even get it finished. Um, But I'm working on that proposal now. Hope to uh, get it out soon. Anyway, so uh, what we're going to do here is we're carrying on as as we always would here. And I've got a guest here, a very special guest for me, because uh, we met at one of those conferences that uh, that I rarely go to, but I was at the International UFO Conference in uh, Phoenix, and that was, I believe, late last year. And that's where I met Chrissy Newton, who is our guest or guest host or whatever. Chrissy, good to see you. How are good you? Good to see you too, Bryce. So good to see you. I just want to bring our uh, our listeners and our viewers up to date. You are a public relations person. You have your own company, Vocab, uh, I guess, Communications, and you're up in Toronto, right? I am. Yes. Vocab communications. And I've owned it for 14 years, That's which fantastic. has been, yeah, it's been amazing. And I've been lucky enough to work with multiple clients from Rexall to Paramount plus to CBC, which is a, a Canadian company all the way to Alterna bank and Microsoft and, and luckily have been able to, you know, work in the UAP topic as well, doing public relations. Now, as I understand it, you've never, ever done a podcast before. This will be your first podcast ever. Is that correct? Right. <laughs> okay, I'm kidding, obviously. Exactly. She's got, you've got I'm a newbie. Pod- yeah. yeah, exactly. I feel like such a, a poser here with only one podcast. You have two. One of them is called Alt Pop Retreat. But the one most of the people in this space know about is the work you do with Re- Debrief. And you have a podcast called Rebelliously Curious, which I guess I was on not too long ago. Yeah, you were. And you're a great guest. A lot well, of you people guys, love that show. T- tell us, you're a founding partner of the the Debrief, which is one of my favorite groups of people in this in this business. Uh, you know, uh, all the the gang there. Tell me how that came about. I, I I just really have never heard that story about how Debrief got cooked up. 
Well, the origins of the debrief starts with Micah Hanks, Tim McMillan, and MJ Benias. The three of them, as friends, came together to decide to start a science, tech, and defense and UFO website, like news website, because they were obviously contributing, if you follow their work, to popular mechanics and some really large outlets. So they took what they know when it comes to journalism and created the debrief. And so I've been a UFO follower fanatic for almost my whole life since I was six years old. And I'm always following the UFO beat. And the story came out and it was released and it was the first breaking news story from the debrief. And I'm like, who the heck is the debrief? I've never <laughs> heard of this new site. And also as a, as a PR person, you know, you know, a majority of outlets, especially in this topic, since I follow it and I'm like, who are these guys? So I like did my, you know, deep dive and I looked into Tim McMillan and MJ Benias and Micah Hanks and I followed all of them on social media on Twitter. And then I added them like a creep to Facebook. And so <laughs> I friend requested them. So I was like, you know, I'm curious who these people are. So then uh, MJ Benias put a post said looking for writers and I sent a message to him and said, I don't want to write. I wouldn't want to, I don't want to write for the debrief, but what I would like to do is do some video podcasting or video con contributions to the YouTube channel. And he was like, all right, let's see what you got little lady. And so I put <laughs> together my test and put it out, you know, into the ethos to them and they liked it. And, and then from there uh, we jumped into a discord group and, you know, started to obviously become friends and contributed and really started working together. And then later on, they asked me to become a partner. And that's kind of how it started almost three years ago. And now, you know, we're such a great group. We say good morning to each other. You know, we talk, we share news, you know, everybody's doing multiple things, but it's just a really great group to be part of. And I'm happy. And we all kind of started with the love of UFOs and then obviously sex. Oh my God, tech and science and defense. Yeah. Now you just said that uh, you guys are part of a discord group. Uh, if, if I'm not wrong, discord is where all those documents uh, that got leaked and, and used. Tell me how discord works. And, and since you've been on it, how do you think that happened? Well, I think with Discord, it's obviously a platform, right? And I'm I'm not a hundred percent because this is not my not my forte in Discord, but it's a place where obviously you can build your own communities and invite where they can share information. But I believe those documents were leaked, and I was actually talking to Tim McMillan about this today. Funny enough, uh, they were leaked into, and, and I'm not exactly sure who released them. But then that might have been potentially we were talking about misinformation campaigns today on a call uh, because I'm, I'm doing a presentation and it has a part of that in there in contact in the desert. Anyway, we were chatting about it and it potentially could have been something that was maybe leaked to start as a disinformation that turned into misinformation. And that's potentially might what have happened. But I don't know the full story on those leaked documents. But Discord is a really great place to have a community and be able to share information. It can be with your friends. It, it could be with a company. It could be with, it could be really anybody. You know, there's, I believe Somewhere in the Skies has a Discord group as well. Ryan Sprague does. So lots of people have them, but ours is specifically just for the debrief and we have our own little newsroom. Well, I'm just looking for a piece of paper here to, um, well, I don't have it, or maybe I do. Hang on one second. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, so do you think, knowing what you know about Discord and knowing what we don't know about it, but what just happened there, do you look for something like that to be a way that UFOs are finally acknowledged? Is there a document or document trove out there that's just waiting to be posted by somebody that's going to tell the truth and start the process big time? What's your thought? Like through Discord? Or, I would or say any, I, I, you know, Discord was the vehicle, I guess, by which we saw some of those documents. Right. But just in general, 
uh, do you think document leaking is the way that this whole thing starts to really come unraveled or would it be a mass sighting or would it be, what would it be? What is it going to take to get this, this ball really rolling? For when it comes to a form of disclosure. Yeah. Uh, you know, there is document leaking is interesting because I, I literally just, I have an interview coming up with Tim Burchette about this and we talked about that. I asked him, you know, are you pro leaks then? Because he's so, if you follow Tim Burchette and you follow not so much of his other political conversations, which I don't agree with personally, but there is this conversation of UFOs that he speaks so loudly about everywhere he goes. He thinks it's ET. He also thinks it's a government cover-up. So we dive really deep into it. And I asked him from his perspective, if he thinks leaks are okay. And if leaking documents, and technically that's kind of like a form of treason. So I said, are you okay? And you work for the American government. And he said, I'm not asking anyone to do espionage. But what I'm asking is that we come to a truth and that maybe potentially leaks are the way to go. And I don't know how I feel about that myself. I think that there's, and I asked him, isn't that potentially dangerous though for information that's supposed to be you know, protecting us against foreign adversaries and, and intel, the things that we don't wanna be leaked because it can be used against us. And he really didn't think anything of that, which I thought was really interesting, especially working within Congress. So for me, I don't think leaks are always the way to go because they're not always accurate. And who are you leaking the information to? True. Are they fact checking? You know, do they know how to fact check? Are they just people that you feel that you have some kind of trust and relationship with them? But that doesn't mean that they're always on the side of being accurate. And that's the challenge. So I'm not for, for sure for leaks. I would say that I'm I'm for maybe not leaks to the general public, like on a discord, but I am in, in support of leaks to proper journalists that work potentially with prestige media or people that know how to fact check and really understand this topic and really understand what the root cause and effect is of leaks and be able to understand when something is really, really secretive that it might affect national security and what does that mean and what are the implications? And that's really where I look at things and I'm concerned about personally. You know, interesting whether you, you don't have to be pro or con, I guess, on leaking. But our, my buddy Ross uh, always says that he thinks that that could be a way that uh, things move forward because he said Washington just always leaks. And I suppose that's true uh, over time, uh, but we'll see. But I, here I found a piece of, of uh, yeah. information I wanted to talk to you about. Um we do polls from time to time on Twitter and they get really good response. We did one recently. This one had 3,365 votes in 24 hours. So that's not bad. Um, and the question was, what is the most likely event to bring confirmation of non-human intelligence leading to disclosure of crash wreckage, intact craft and reverse engineering efforts? And we gave people four options. One was leaked documents. One was a mass sighting. The other was whistleblower testimony. And the final one was some kind of high-res video image. And here's how it came down. Mass sighting walked away with it, 43%, uh, followed by those high-res video images, which got 23%, whistleblower testimony, 21%. And literally at the bottom of the barrel with 13% was leaked documents. So I guess people don't have a lot of confidence in that. And yet I'd have to say, I have probably less confidence in the video and photo part since you can fake anything these days. What's your take? I would say seeing is believing personally. Mm -hmm. I think that if you're having a mass sighting and you're actually seeing it and you're having, and this could be 
potentially everywhere around the world too, right? It could be in multiple sure. cities. So for me, that would make more sense uh, to have a mass sighting. Leaked documents can always be forged. Misinformation campaigns and disinformation campaigns are always happening within the American government. So something could technically be leaked to be disinformation against China and Russia, let's say, but it ends up getting leaked into our system. And then we end up taking it as fact when it really and becomes misinformation and fake news when it legitly was done for a disinformation campaign to another country and ends up affecting people. So that's why leaked documents, not so sure. much for myself. Um, and then looking at, I think like high res photos, not so much, but I think people seeing it, seeing it, believing and having multiple cities or one major city and people having their own footage and it going viral on social media. That's, that's where I would go. You know, hard as it is to believe, I mean, it just blows my mind, but the Phoenix lights mass sighting was over 25 years ago. I think it's 26 years now. So I think a lot about that because people go, well, if it was such a big, important mass sighting, why didn't it change everything? I guess my question is, in the 25 years since the Phoenix sighting, we've certainly changed how we look at this. We have people investigating it. We have all the social media, et cetera. If there was a mass sighting of the style of what happened in Phoenix back in 97, do you think it would be treated differently today? And if so, do you think that different treatment would lead to uh, a, a greater acceptance that these are possibly non-human intelligence? A hundred percent. It would be so different because of social media. We have a, we have a place where like we look at TikTok, we have apps where we can zoom in exactly in the point in time in moment that things are happening. So like I can go to Iran and I can look at what's going on. I can go to Afghanistan and I can look at people's posts because it's open to the public. So I can look at their photos mm -hmm. or I can look at their videos. So a hundred percent, yes, it would change the way we look at a mass sighting like the Phoenix lights would be documented in different ways. We look at those, the women, and I believe it was a, a daughter and a mom that had a, the closest sighting when they drove underneath it and they could explain what it looked like. I believe they even talked about like the metal, like color it looked like, uh, and shape and like legitly drove under the thing. So you can imagine if you had a Snapchat or if you had any form of a reel or going live that you'd be able to get hundreds of thousands, potentially millions of people on that live feed. So yeah, I think it would change everything and news media would pick it up instantly as well. But I think we just have challenges though, that we haven't, we have those sightings, but we're getting stuck in again, I, I bring into this, I keep talking about fake news, but we're in that place where people can obviously manipulate things and we're, and we're seeing sure. that. So I think that it would have to take a large amount of people in a mass sighting for people to really, yeah, jump, jump on and be like, okay, this is actually happening and sharing it with each other, but very different from 97 in the Phoenix lights. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. you know, um, Chrissy, one of the things that we, we do here on Need to Know is we we take a look at what's hot in the news on this UFO, UAP reality issue. And when you said 100%, I had to smile because that was my very first place I wanted to start, which is with Gary Nolan. And by now, most of the people who are listening know Gary Nolan's name very well. I believe you even had him on one of your podcasts recently. This is the Stanford uh, professor who has researched UAP for the U.S. government, and he said uh, at a, 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 let's see, it was a, a New York City conference, Salt Eye Connections conference. And the title of the conference was the Pentagon Extraterrestrial Intelligence and Crashed UFOs. And in any case, 
uh, paraphrasing uh, uh, Dr. Nolan, he said that uh, not only did uh, he think extraterrestrials had visited us, but that they were still doing it and they were here now. And when he was asked by the uh, the moderator, uh, at what percent, you know, uh, how would he, how confident he was of that? He said, hundred percent. Now that has Twitter, UFO Twitter, and frankly, the entire world going crazy about like, wait a second, what does this guy know? Why is he saying this? I'm sure you've heard about uh, Dr. Nolan's statement, which has set off a bit of a firestorm, as I said. So what's your take? Um, did he, did he set ufology and its acceptance forward by making that kind of definitive statement? Or is he going to get caught in the, the media clause of how can he be so sure and, and he'll be undermined? What, what's your take on how he's going to see things? Well, it's a bold statement from someone coming from Stanford. And we know that Gary Nolan for years is not scared to talk about this, right? He's talked about, I would say, even more controversial topics. So I think it's just recent that he's been saying that. And obviously at a conference with a whole bunch of people, it's a very bold move to do. I don't think it's, when you say 100%, yeah. and, and it's like yeah. a definite, then it's like, what do you know then? And why aren't you telling us more? Well, so, when I hear somebody say 100%, don't you kind of go to, okay, if you're talking about the UFO issue and you're at, I am not at 100% because right. A, I've not seen a UFO up close and personal. B, I haven't been ushered into any warehouse where they're working on one. And C, I haven't gone to an autopsy with the body or talked to an alien. So I can't be 100%. I, but I put myself more like, I guess, 80%. Uh, and I don't know that it's extraterrestrial. He seemed to say it was extraterrestrial. So it is kind of interesting that, that he did that. And I just thought people might, he talked about there was compelling evidence to justify his 100%. So the moderator said, what is it? This is what Nolan said. He said, you just need to look at what your government is doing right now about it. Just go and look at the number of politicians on both sides of the aisle who have come together and signed off on this statement. What are they basing their opinions on? They're basing their opinions on the dozens of individuals who in one manner or another have come forward and talked to them in classified settings. And then, of course, he talked about all the government programs and, and uh, Arrow and things like that. Is that evidence? Is that 100% evidence to you? Or is he holding something back, do you think? No, I don't think that's evidence. I don't think, you know, testimonies and stories are part of evidence. And like, lots of people will say that and it, it goes towards it. But you need to have more than just testimonies. And you need to have more than just hearsay. The one thing that Gary Newland's doing that's so different is the research on the brain, which I think and neurology based around this topic. And I think that's his best work, looking at the cotypotainment that's in the middle of your brain and how this is connected with experiencers and potentially UAP. That is the most amazing work and literally could be form of evidence that we can use as medical evidence down the road. So I think he needs to stay in that lane. It's not, you know, Gary's going to be like, right, Chrissy, but I would prefer that because okay. that's his best practice and that's what he knows what to do. And I respect him on that because that's his area of expertise and he's an academic outside of whistleblowers and looking at this in a political space and playing the games, I would say, yeah, you have to step back because a hundred percent is a hundred percent. And if you're right. saying this is what it is and you're going on the record and saying that, and people are reporting it, well, you don't know. 
And if you know something that we don't know, well, then maybe you need to come forward more and talk about it. And, and potentially Gary would, and I think he will at some point, but you're right. It's bold. And, but we see that from everybody. Yeah. We're, we see that from every single person that says they know things or that this right. is for sure accurate. And I'm very, very, very skeptical of that, to be honest, because, you know, I don't think we know. And if we do, then I always joke around and say, why am I going to work then? Like, why do I need to go to work? I'm like, if aliens are walking among us, why am I working? Why am I going to work? Yes, <laughs> I've given that a yes. lot of thought over the years. You know, listen, uh, I want to talk about what you just said. But uh, one thing I do want to say is I'm a big fan of Gary Nolan's. I mean, he's been on this show. He's been on your show. He's a incredibly articulate uh, a scientist to talk about this. And I... I would say this about the stay in your lane kind of uh, take that sometimes people have applied to him, which is um, his credentials are uh, studying uh, the brain and the mind, and he's looked into biological effects, et cetera. But he's a brilliant man with a brilliant mind, and he's accomplished many things. So I don't think, I, I think he is entitled to get out of his lane a little bit and use that brilliant scientific mind to analyze information that may not be part of, you know, his credentialed expertise. So I will uh, give him that because I mean, obviously, you know, you and I aren't in our, a particular lane ourselves. And, you know, we talk about all kinds of different things all the time. So I, I'm going to give him a, a break. Stay with us. We're back in a moment because you need to know. I remember literally at the end of last year, as 2022 was giving way to 2023, uh, Ross Coulter and I did a, a show about, you know, trying to look back on 22 and see what that had in it and then look forward to 23. And at the end of it, we said, we, we you know, we asked a question, well, would 23 sizzle or fizzle? We even did a poll on that one. And by the way, more people were in favor of fizzle, which was what uh, Ross thought. Ross thought 23 was going to fizzle out. But that was like four or five months ago when he said it. I thought it was going to sizzle. And I have to say, um, I still think it's going to sizzle. I think 23 is on the verge of big sizzle, but that's just my opinion. And maybe I should get back in my lane. But let me ask you what your thoughts are. Do you think we're looking at a 2023 that's going to go down in history in the same way, say, that 2017 did with the New York Times article? Well, I also think that is your lane, personally. Uh, I, <laughs> I think the, that is your lane. That's my I, lane. I am in the yeah. same boat where I think it it will sizzle, but I don't think it's going to sizzle to the point of disclosure where we're yeah. like, aha, like now we know. Because let's right. be honest, for more than 75 years, the past has repeated itself. And that's what's happening right now. We look at the UFO topic and everything that happened in the 60s and the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. We're seeing that we're seeing from Congress, we're seeing, you know, uh, hearings, but then it was uh, press conferences, we're seeing or videos that were coming out with Donald Kehoe. So we're seeing that the past is reflecting to the future, but the future now will hopefully be different than won't reflect the past. And we're in the middle of that. And I think that's like extremely exciting because we're living it and we have the ability to change that. So I think it's going to sizzle and I think it's going to sizzle, but not to the point where it's like, 
oh my gosh, you know, we know everything. I think that yeah. I probably will be dead potentially by the time we know. I know everything. I'll be dead. You're younger but, than I am. So you've got more of a shot at it. But yeah. Well, I, I hope I can see it in my lifetime, yeah. but I, I just don't, I think we're, it's going to take decades for that to come through and science is going to have to actually meet the same mark as this conversation. And that's where we're living right now. And it's going to take these multiple generations pushing it through and championing it. So we don't end up in the past where we have a, a modern day Condon report. No thanks. And I hope that doesn't happen, but I don't think we're going to go that way, but it's going to sizzle and I'm excited. And I've also heard on my end, I'm going to be one of those people that I've heard that uh, right. in Canada, it's going to sizzle too. And I've heard that from great sources as I, well. So yeah. I, uh, I, you know, people wonder if you have sources, why don't you name their names? So well, that's just not the way it works. Sometimes people have to speak to you on background and you try to develop the story where you can get multiple sources and bring people in by name. But having said that, um, I have heard uh, the same rumblings about Canada getting a little more aggressive behind the scenes and and possibly scooping even the United States or at least doing something in, in um concert with the United States. But one thing I think we might do here to focus this conversation is, yeah, people have used disclosure as a word for a long time. I even wrote a book about it with Richard Dolan called AD After Disclosure, about how the world would look after we all admit that uh, some of these are non-human intelligence. Uh, but here's the definition that I've evolved over time. I don't think disclosure is in the cards this year or probably next year, because disclosure to me is where you just plain out and lay out the facts. And, you know, somebody official from the president to the pope, to the head of NATO, to the head of China, somebody comes forward and says uh, this whole UFO UAP thing. Yeah, it's real. Here's some evidence for you to chew on, but there's no doubt about it. That would be disclosure of some kind. If they gave us all you know, five terabyte hard drives full of uh, video and, and documents and photos, that would be even more disclosure. I am lately embracing a different word, and that's confirmation. Confirmation to me falls a little short of disclosure, but is, that makes it far more likely. Dis confirmation for me would be when somebody official simply says, uh, yes, uh, it is to the best of our knowledge, these are not uh, made by humans. They reflect a non-human intelligence and we're looking into it. That would at least be confirmation because, um, uh, Chrissy, one of the things that I certainly have done over the years is I've gotten more impatient. Okay. I started in this as a much younger man and I thought, okay, I, I can play the long game for this thing. You know, eventually I'll probably be around when it happens. Well, I'm not the same young guy that I was and I'm getting more and more impatient because, you know, this is now going on close to 80 years. Uh, that's too long for me. And I've seen some very good people have to go to their deaths not knowing. Uh, one great example would be Stanton Friedman, who is a friend of mine. I optioned one of his books. I've written a movie about him and Don Schmidt competing over Roswell, for example. And Stan uh, and I, for the research into this book, I must have spoken to him for, I don't know, 40, 50 hours and just sort of, I knew his life story, frankly, better than Stan did. Uh, for for a while. But at the end, Stan, before he passed away a few years ago, was you can see he was a little melancholy about it because he put his heart and his soul and 100% of his effort into trying to make this story available to the human race. 
And instead, he was greeted with ridicule and uh, and people just putting him down and acting like he wasn't smart like he really was and acting like he was a fraud. And, and I think he went to his passing saying, why? Why can't I know this? And um, Don Schmidt even told me uh, that uh, Heineck, his last words or next to last words were, why can't I know this even now? So I, I kind of come from that point of view. I'm ready for a little sizzle. It doesn't have to be a full steak, uh, but uh, a little sizzle would be good. That's my take. Something medium rare. Yes. I'm like, that's right. <laughs> it's probably a little bloody on the inside too. Let's be honest. <laughs> never know with this topic. I, I agree. I say that disclosure is ongoing. I don't think that the word disclosure and some people will agree or disagree. You can let me know uh, on social media, but I say that disclosure doesn't really exist. It's something obviously we made up to campaign and to lobby and to champion as people and, and as a counterculture in the ufology world. But I would say disclosure, once we do find out and you're right they say hey ufos and aliens or all these things do exist and here is the evidence this is what we're doing about it we're still going to say that's not enough what's the next thing now what and you know we want to meet them or what's disclosure after that i think it's ongoing so i don't i don't like using the word as much as well i use it in context to describe this because everyone does and we we know it part of the lexicon in this community but i uh, i think confirmation is is a great word because well, th that's what yeah. we need. And, and I agree. Paul Helliard was one of those people too, the minister of defense in Canada, when he passed away, he didn't know. And he was lobbying for the longest period of time to find out more information on UFOs and, and multiple different things. But it's unfortunate because you're right. Why, why can't they know? And we should be able to know it's, I think it's a right. We are, we are kind of on a spectrum. I know that when uh, Dolan and I were, we spent about a year working on that book, having all these conversations hypothetically, and we decided that really what the, the world we were in was the BC world, which was before confirmation. And we were on a path toward an AD world, which is after disclosure. And we came to the conclusion there could be a couple of ways that goes down. And, and I think, uh, because I'm the Hollywood guy here, I, I applied a Hollywood metaphor to it, which would be um, you could either have a slow dissolve, which would mean we're learning a little bit more every year, every week, whatever. And then a hard cut is where it happens overnight. And about the only way it's going to happen overnight probably would be a mass sighting. Um, but I will, I, I, something that I just think is so intriguing uh, about the time we live in now and why I look for sizzle is that when, when I was growing up, first of all, you, you, you couldn't even really talk about flying saucers or UFOs in polite company. People would just, they were conditioned to ridicule you for doing it or to laugh at you um, for wasting your time thinking about such things. And if anybody had mentioned um, crash wreckage, crash retrieval, reverse engineering, recovery of bodies, I mean, that was hard fringe stuff. And if you went there, you not only were foolish, but you were to be avoided. That was even within ufology, you know, people couldn't get their head around it. But now we are in a time period where because of the whistleblower legislation that was passed in the National Defense Authorization Act, the idea of crash wreckage, crash retrieval of intact craft and uh, retrieval of bodies and legacy programs dealing with um, some kind of 
reverse engineering. That's all people seem to be talking about right now. And uh, we talked about sources and all that. The, I have it on what I consider reasonably good authority that some of these whistleblowers who have already spoken to Congress for hours and hours and hours in classified sessions, that's exactly what they're talking about. So if there are some senators or House of Representatives, uh, Congress people running around with their hair on fire right now, it's because somebody has sat in a classified meeting and said, hey, you know what? Uh, there is crash wreckage. I can tell you where they keep it, and I can tell you the name of the program, and I can tell you where you can go find it. So that, to me, it's not out in public yet, but it's being discussed in the halls of power right now. And to me, that puts it closer and closer, because when you start naming names, even if it's classified, you are getting closer and closer to people talking about the real thing or, or, I mean, frankly, um, trying to subpoena people. Um, I personally, I would, if I was on the Senate Intel committee, I'd be going to wherever they said those crashes were and looking for myself. So I, I have a certain optimism based on that, uh, that I'm hearing out of DC. And I wonder, are you hearing the same kind of talk out of DC? Yeah, I would say that, in Washington, and Jack Vallée says this, and I love it so much, Washington is a place, especially within um, within government, is a place to trade secrets. So I think secrets are being traded, and they have for a while, but more likely on this topic, they're being talked about. I did an interview with Danny Sheehan that works in civil rights and has been a lobbyist and activist in this space for years. And he's working with whistleblowers right now. And we actually broke down the legislation together because I was like, hey, we need to we need to really talk about this so we can understand what we're looking at. Because let's be honest, lawyer jargon and legislation jargon is not the easiest thing to understand. Right. And we don't that's not my everyday job. But my everyday job is to go find some people to go figure it out with me and to be able to explain it to other people and, and be able to ask questions and why things don't make sense. So, for example, a lot of the legislation has a bunch of loopholes in it. And that's really interesting. It has tons of loopholes where we don't know where proper reporting is, um, what triggers like 72 hours so that Congress would, would know. And then obviously the president, you know, how protected are whistleblowers as well? Like they are, they say that they're very protected under the Atomic Act, but there's also a lot of loopholes within that or questions or things that are very vague. So I think that right now we're at a point where people are asking questions. And again, I asked Tim Brichette this as well and said, what are the conversations that are being had right now? So people are curious. I don't think they know as much as we think they do. There is a small group and say, I would say Arrow is that and Sean Kirkpatrick and maybe some other congressmen and Congress people. But I think we're at a point right now. And, you know, Danny Sheehan said this and I love it is that Unfortunately, Sean Kirkpatrick is a very passive right now. We looked at, if this mm. is the new type of Project Blue Book, we looked at J. Allen Hynek, we looked at everybody else. They were actively going oh, out and yeah. researching and looking at cases and documenting them. We have physical evidence of that. Right now what's happening is Sean Kirkpatrick is saying, how about whistleblowers come talk to me and, and getting people to come forward through their system. And that's very passive rather than being reactive. So the question is, is why is he being passive? Is he just waiting? And why isn't he going out and really taking, um, if he feels that there's a lot of validity of this, why isn't he going out and being more active? You're right, like going to sites, looking in, into things a lot more, but he's not right now. And so maybe he's just in phase one 
of this. And right. maybe he has a strategy of phase two and phase three of how this will roll out. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt for now and see what happens. But I am not that I don't think, I think he's trying his best and it's a very hard position to be in. Let's be honest, because it's so new and you have a whole community analyzing every single move. So I'm going to give him a benefit of the doubt right now. And I'm curious to see what he will say with the information that lots of people have about whistleblowers coming forward and the information that they know if Sean Kirkpatrick is going to release that. And then on a side note that I'll end this thought is that there is a smart thing that he probably shouldn't release all of it. There has to be some kind of decorum, I think, that goes with this. You can't be like, hey, we have all this evidence and this is what it is. I think you have to figure out how to have these conversations so it doesn't affect culture sure. too much. And also, let's be honest, he's a scientist. He's a physicist. So he wants the science to catch up so that he can prove it through science. And he's even said that in the recent hearings. And that's where I think that it's going to be a very long dissolve, as you said, and it will be a trickle because I think if Sean Kirkpatrick stays in this position as long as possible, the science will have to prove it outside of people and hearsay stories as of now. Don't get me started on Sean Kirkpatrick. The need to know never stops. For those of you just joining us, Sean Kirkpatrick is the head of the, the new head of the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office or Arrow. And, um, you know, if he actually, Chrissy, is going out uh, and and investigating, he's he's doing it off the. I mean, he's doing it classified because he's certainly not talking about it. He, at his one public testimony that he gave, uh, I believe a month over a month ago, uh, he basically said we got nothing that would imply anything extraterrestrial. Um, just one thought about that. Uh, I agree, he is a scientist. So, in fact, if he knows where they're holding crash wreckage, he should get in a car or a plane and go there and look at it for himself so that as a scientist, he could assure himself that it is something that we're not making. But the other thing about Sean is uh, I hear that people have come to him. I hear that he's heard a dozen people at least who are whistleblower types who, who have legitimate uh, areas of expertise, who have worked in programs for the government and for private enterprise that can be checked out. And they have told them some incredible stories about, as I said, crash wreckage, intact craft, uh, reverse engineering, and even bodies. And apparently, all of those people talking to him still didn't rate as evidence to him uh, because he said he had seen or heard nothing. So um, I don't know about that. The other thing is the hot rumor right now, and I don't know who started it. I don't have any clue uh, whether it's true. So let me pass it on. I heard he was going to get fired. Have you heard that? What? I heard he was going to get fired. No, I did not hear that. If anything, I heard that he wasn't doing his job correctly. He wouldn't show up to work. <laughs> That's what well, I I'll tell you something. But I was just like, get... poor guy. I'm like, can you imagine? I, he, he works like I, the man's going to work. That's oh, like a horrible room. Listen, I don't want to, you know, make his life miserable. I mean, it's a hard job he's got. And I admire him for doing it. And I'm glad he's doing it. I don't um, think he's getting fired. You know what, Bryce? I yeah. 
I, I've heard so many stories of whistleblowers have sure. coming forward in the exact same stuff you've said, but you know, I am very skeptical, not based on those whistleblowers, because for sure we've seen, you know, Robert Salas, we've seen lots of people that are part of UFO right. let's history have come forward that know these stories and have testified to Congress. It's the newbies and the new yeah. ones where exactly. And to be honest, just because you've worked on any form of a classified project or anything else doesn't mean you're telling the truth. And I'm very wary because let's be honest, UFO conversation, it can lead into many different outlets. We look at Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar has been a story since the early 80s and it still lives today. And so there is some, we'll say lightly, fame and fortune. I'm not saying Bob Lazar and attachments are getting rich and famous off it, but I am skeptical. I want to see the evidence. And let's be honest, if these people are going to come forward at some point, they probably will. We need to know the full story. Sure. I don't want a snippet of it. I don't want the times. I don't want any other larger outlet that's prestige media to come forward and say, this is only part of the story when we know that there's so much more to it and that hasn't been released. And then we find out a year, right. two years, 10 years down the road, and then you'd have a different perception of it initially when you first heard it. So lots of people lie. And I, I think that it's smart to wait to, to gather the information and then be able to come forward and talk to the science of it and also be able to, because let's be honest, if you're having like, let's say 11 to 12 whistleblowers coming forward and saying, you know, aliens and don't have any evidence except for their own experience. And then we go, we start screaming that that can be a huge issue. Yeah. a very, very big issue. So I think it's right now it's collecting. My challenge with Sean Kirkpatrick right now is this public portal he speaks of. And I'm not so happy about that because when you get private companies, for example, like there's multiple of them, we know that are looking to, to gather UFO public data right now from people. And when you are connecting with arrow and, 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 uh, and you're a private corporate company, you can't be foiled. You, like, you're protected from any right. FOIA requests. And also, do you know how much power you have when it comes to health concerns and information about these people and their experiences? And you can sell that for big data and make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And you are connected to the government and you're giving that information. Where are the rules? Where are the regulations? Who's doing the public portal? Where is this going? Does the private, do people have access to it, to the public? Because it's our information and or corporate companies selling it. So that's a major concern to me. And also, again, it's a passive, it's passive. It's not reactive. It's like you come to us and you give us the information and then we'll look into it rather than you're right. I'm going to go and drive my bum to wherever it needs to be or fly and go look at this in my, with my own eyes and analyze, I analyze it and be able to come to some form of scientific conclusion. You know, um, a lot to unpack there. Uh, one thing, um, Gary Nolan himself in that interview we were talking about said that a whistleblower had, I don't know where he got this information, but he said a whistleblower had testified the weekend before his speech. And I forget the phrase he used, but it was, uh, you know, set people off quite a bit. Um, look, if Sean Kirkpatrick is fired, then I want everyone to remember you heard it here first. Uh, but if he's not, please forget I said anything about it. Um, on the subject, though, of who these whistleblowers are, it is true there's a whole crowd of uh, familiar names, 
that I don't think merit the whistleblower distinction at this point because they've been so public for so long and they're not actively engaged in programs. Among those would be one person you mentioned, Bob Salas, who is a, has a fantastic story to tell, but also people like Bob Lazar and, and a whole host of other people who say they've had experience in, and have worked on programs over the years. Um, then but why I isn't he subpoenaing them? Tell me to well, cut you off, but why isn't Shankar Patrick putting a subpoena to Bob Lazar? I uh, personally, I think he should. I'd like yeah. to see Bob Lazar a hold his hand up and swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And then I'd like to see the staff of Arrow or the Senate Intel Committee or the House or somebody um, ask difficult questions, uh, bring in expert testimony and find out once and for all if Bob Lazar is telling the truth or not. Because if he's telling the truth, that alone would be a radical uh, move in the in, in the direction of truth. So, it, you know, it's, it's hard to say. Um, how this is all going to shake out. But one thing I, I thought we should at least talk about, because we're if you're talking about the difference between confirmation or disclosure, or you're talking about sizzle or fizzle, um, here's the thing. It is now um, late May of 2023. And that means uh, there's still like, what, uh, seven months left in the year. And I guess the question is, a real sizzle would be that somehow something new comes out in such a way that it dumps this whole UAP UFO reality issue into the middle of the 2024 presidential campaign, which would be radical. Uh, my question, Chrissy, is do you think that's possible? Because I've been thinking it was possible in 2020. I even thought it was possible in 2016, given that Hillary Clinton wanted to be the disclosure president. Is it possible in 2024 that in those debates between God knows who will be there in the fall, but that uh, journalists from uh, legacy media that get to ask the questions would ever deign to ask a question about UAP? Do you think that's possible? I'm going to pull a Gary Nolan and say 100%. 100%. I asked this question to Tim Burchett and said, do you think, first of all, do you think that this is a Republican's topic and not Democratic? And right. he said, no, he thinks it's obviously a bipartisan, which is interesting. And then I asked him, now we know that I believe Ron DeSantis has said that he's running for presidency. I think he announced it or he's announcing mm -hmm. it today at 6 p.m. or something to that degree. But that was a conversation. We know that Robert Bigelow has funded him $3 million. And Robert Bigelow, as we all know, is a major advocate for UFOs and a billionaire. So he's given him $3 million. Doesn't mean that Ron DeSantis is going to use this in his platform, but it's curious. So right. I'm following that narrative. I'm following to see what the Republicans are doing and who decides to use this and champion it as part of their platform to garner an audience. And so we, we've seen that. I personally think this, and this does, there's no... Well, I guess you could say there's evidence, but I personally think that outlets like Fox News garner, uh, talk about the UFO topic, not because they want truth and transparency. I think they do it because they want it. They think that the audience is it's their audience and it's right. their targeted audience. So, yes, I do think that news media and politicians will probably potentially use this as part 
of their campaign and speak to it like Hillary Clinton did. They always play around the topic and they always, you know, know that majority of people want to know. And it's always been a question, right? It's always been, will disclosure come forward? It happened with Trump. It's happened in every election. But now because it's very political and congressmen are speaking about it and bills are being passed in legislation, it's 100% becoming something that has to be regarded to and have conversation that's to be talked about with the president even more than I would say in the past per se. So yeah, I think it's going to happen. I'm just, and I'm not a fan of that personally, because I think it's supposed to be bipartisan and it's not, not supposed to be used. The other part too, it's funny enough. I was talking to Tim McMillan about this. He's our uh, defense writer and one of the owners at the debrief. And we were chatting today about politicians using misinformation. And I asked him, I said, you know, because he's, he's so good in this stuff and I, I love him for it. And I said, is it legal? Because from what I've been reading, that it's legal that politicians can use in mis misinformation in their campaigns. What? Like, hold on. That doesn't make sense. You Disinformation right. is illegal and you can't do that to the general public. But in campaigns rallying for presidency you are allowed to misinform your public. So let's be honest. Why wouldn't you be someone in the UFO topic in a presidency and use that to your advantage and help spread misinformation to within a specific uh, counterculture that has a handle on media, can help persuade, and also is a massive demographic in the United States and North America and around the world. So to me, it, it makes sense. you know. And I hope they don't do it. I hope I'm 100% wrong. So let's see. <laughs> there that is again. You know, um, <laughs> look, I think it's fairly clear that whether it's this year or two years from now or four years from now, the whole UAP, UFA, UFO issue uh, is going to enter into the election cycle. Now, right now, the talking points for everybody is, as you said, that it's bipartisan. Bipartisan simply means, I guess, that there's not a Democrat or a Republican position. But I want to point out one thing about bipartisanship. It, bipartisanship doesn't mean everybody's on the same team. It just may mean that if you take the Republican team and the Democratic team, that they have dissension within their own ranks because this is not a, 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 an issue that neatly bifurcates into politics. So it may be that... Um, they're split. Uh, some of them are hawks and some of them are doves, like during the Vietnam War, for example. Um, and the other possibility, though, is virtually everything these days wants to become red or blue here in the United States. And it isn't impossible that a huge issue such as UAP would do the same thing. I mean, it's already laying out there for somebody to take it. There's a threat. Uh, there's the we better trust but verify threat point of view. And then there's the point of view, uh, hey, they're all here for peace and goodwill. I guess that would be more the Stephen Greer point of view. Uh, so we don't know. Uh, we, we, we can see a path where it's going to impinge itself into these elections. And God knows I wish it would, because I'd like more of these people to be put on record. Um, but who knows how it's going to break down once it is. And then the other thing about it that just kind of irks me, um, I would say it's pretty clear that uh, uh, former President Trump and President Biden probably knew about the reality of whatever the ultimate reality is about UFOs and UAP. They may not have known every detail, but they both went along and, and have gone along with the idea that, yeah, I'm not really going to come out and talk about it. And I wish that would end. I think the, the, the dialogue may 
maybe may be needed. So listen, I'm going to do something radical uh, on this show, which is I'm going to try to get out more or less on time. So let me let me just end here by asking us to each take a, a we started by talking about sizzle or fizzle. You said you were sizzle. Uh, tell me what you think sizzle means in the context of 2023 and why you think we're going to get some of that and what it might look like. I think it's going to sizzle. Hopefully we'll see. I think the pendulum might swing if NASA does come out. I believe it's in a couple of weeks um, with their report. And there's some interesting findings in there. You know, historically, maybe not. We've seen this again. We've seen multiple, you know, reports done like this, scientific reports. But let's hope NASA comes out with something different. If that does, that changes the sizzle in a scientific way. And that yeah. is very exciting. And that gets the academic community in universities and everywhere else in Ivy League schools more involved. So I think that that to me would be the perfect sizzle is having some findings there. But I'm not holding my breath per se. The, ne <laughs> the next part I would say then would be looking at specific whistleblowers that I would say that are talking specifically, I'm not going to say alien specifically to UAP based, has better footage, maybe they're pilots, who knows, that have a wonderful, wonderful footage that can be analyzed and understood. I think that would be something that we're going to to look at and that being released and having like a, another 2017, you know, yeah. uh, moment again with prestige media and then that going viral, that, that would be really wonderful. So I think that's where we're going to look at the sizzle. I don't think it's like disclosure, alien bodies are in the back, you know, not yet. Now right. we're not going down there yeah. yet. I think that's going to take a long time. But to me, if we get to the point where science is leading this even more, then I think that's a win for all of us. Excellent summation there. Hey, uh, the uh, NASA uh, uh, report uh, that you're talking about uh, comes down May 31st. And I don't know if that's the report. On May 31st, NASA is holding a public meeting that would take place at 1030 a.m. on the East Coast, so 7.30 a.m. on the West Coast. And that is a Wednesday, May 31st. And that's more of a discussion of its independent study team on trying to categorize and evaluate the data of UAP. But I don't think they have their report ready. But again, a lot of people are um, skeptical, <laughs> skeptical about NASA because NASA has not stood up over the years and, and accepted this as a valid thing to look into. So the fact that the new NASA administrator is willing to look into it and the government's willing to tell NASA to look into it and they're willing to, to try to do a report, I consider positive. But if there's going to be sizzle, I think it's going to come from the whistleblower classified kind of thing. Because again, if names, dates, and locations are being discussed, uh, in testimony before Congress. What's interesting about that is those things can be checked out. This isn't just a guy saying, yeah, I, they brought me in. I saw the sport model floating there and, you know, but I can't prove it. I can't even prove, you know, if there's names, dates, and locations, some of that might be provable. And as you said, and we said earlier on, leaks can happen. So listen, um, Chrissy, thank you so much for being here. This has been kind of fun. I really appreciated it. I do too. I had a great time, Bryce. Thanks for having me. Well, and let me just uh, tell all you folks that one of the things, and I'm sure you know this, Chrissy, um, we constantly get told here, why don't you guys ever tell anybody who watches your YouTube to subscribe to your YouTube channel? And Ross and I kind of looked at each other and went, 
wow, maybe that would be a good idea. We just never, it never occurred to us. So now I'm looking you in the eye, folks, and saying, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's not that hard. There's a little subscription button. And please go ahead and do that because we love you. And apparently we need that. So, all right, that's it for the day. This is Need to Know. I assume Ross will be back soon. Chrissy's been with us, Chrissy Newton, and that's been great. And we'll say bye-bye. Need to Know is a joint production of Stellar Productions and Powerful Owl Productions. The producer is Rich Johnson. Want more? Find more at needtoknow.today. That's needtoknow.today.